Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the new Mainstream Podcast, where we explore the impact of multicultural consumers on marketing and media. I'm your host, Mario Carrasco, and co-founder of ThinkNow. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the new Mainstream Podcast. Excited to tr- introduce our guest today, Roberto Martinez, founder and CEO of Braven Agency. How's it going? Welcome, Roberto. Thank you, Mario. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Yeah, it's been a while since we've been connected, and um, I've, I've been wanting to have you on for a while, so excited to have you on. Same, same. You're a wizard out there. It's always uh, something new and creative going on in your, in your hodgepodge of amazing companies and partners that you bring together to communicate value to small business, not just any business, but small business, but also you know, big corporate America that needs to understand how to communicate value to small businesses or large businesses or certain segments of the U.S. population. So I, I love when you uh, put things like this out there for our community. I appreciate that. I appreciate And likewise, I've been a fan of your work. And um, for those that don't know, like, I, I mean, I, I think we met a while ago and through Elban, the, the Latino entrepreneurship initiative they have there. Um, that's when I first heard of you and met you. And then I think, you know, throughout the years you've kept in touch, but tell me a little bit. I know I heard, I heard a little bit about your story when we did the panel together at LTX quest, which was, which was great to be a part of that with you there. Um, tell us more, like, how'd you get into marketing? Like tell us your origin story and, and how you came to found Braven agency. Yeah, no, I, I love the fact that Marvel has created certain language, <laughs> uh, you know, your origin story. That's exactly right. It's yeah. it's really fun, actually. I, I started wanting to service my community and, and be a community leader in some shape or form. Uh, and I thought government was the way to go about doing that. So <laughs> funny enough, right? You're, you're like, oh, government, that's the way I'm going to help my people and help my small business, local uh, folks who are disenfranchised for whatever reason doesn't have to be diverse or minority, just people who are going through the struggle and you want to help them. And so I started working in government. I, I did undergrad and political science and then got some degrees on econ. And as I was growing my presence, I realized that you know economics is great and business is great and working with, within government is great if you have those tools, but you're not really having a long lasting impact. So at the time, I was down in Argentina, I was working, I was interning for the State Department, the U.S. State Department, and the Minister of Finance pulled me to the side and he's like, Roberto, que haces, boludo? Uh, what, what, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, eres Latino, eres Mexicano, trabajando para los Americanos. Like, what? You're, Mex- you're Mexican-American, you're working for the Americans. What's the deal? And so he planted a seed. He planted a seed telling me, go back, get your MBA as financial minister, the president lives and dies by the policies that we implement. And a lot of that has to do, do with his business. How do we manage and control business? How do we stimulate the economy to have it grow uh, and secure folks' livelihoods? And the message he was sending is a very simple one. It's the economy, right? It's the economy. It's stupid. Uh, back in the 1990s, for those kids who uh, remember that election cycle with the Clintons, um, so I, I came back, I still worked in, in government, and it took me some time to transition, but I finally made that transition and got my MBA. And then I, I, I make a joke that I was uh, working for pharma, I call it, like I used to be a worse excuse, uh, you know, a drug dealer, if you will, uh, working for pharma. It wasn't really fulfilling, but work was fulfilling and intellectually stimulating. 
some of the best and brightest people I've ever been around in pharma. Uh, but the impact wasn't an impact that I felt that I could really uh, leverage and, and grow my, my mission in life. And soon thereafter, I left, came back to LA, started working for some companies, some tech firms, and made them money, right? So you start realizing when you have scale, and you have folks that have uh, email list of you know, 100,000, 200,000, and you have folks that have budgets of millions of dollars for marketing, you know, 3% increase, 4% increase equates to you know, three, $400,000 a month. You, know, you multiply that by 12 months, you start making them some significant money just by increasing those margins. And I was really good at that. I was really good at managing a team on the digital side to help those, those larger corporations keep their revenue growing. And love the work. Again, very stimulating work, very fun work. Uh, you're always moving. There's something about marketing when you actually feel the shifting of the marketplace. I was very lucky to be part of a, of a community of marketers that help prop up the rideshare industry in the early uh, tw yeah, 2010s, 2011, uh, 2012, 13, 14, 15. And it's just like, holy crap, this is really taking off. But it wasn't fulfilling still. I didn't really find my call. And then something really tragic happened in my life. Uh, my significant my uh, significant other at the time broke up. And then uh, my best friend, lifelong friend, passed away. We traveled the world together. And it, it kind of helps you realign priorities and hone in on what really matters to you, right? It's great that you're successful, but who, who is this impacting? Who is this helping? And I call it the coming to Jesus moment for me is, okay, well, this is great. I'm making money for folks. I like the work. I like the people. But what, what about the people who are part of my community? And what legacy am I going to leave if I was to die today? And I didn't like the answers I was coming up with. And so I decided to start my own company and make money for small businesses, right? And uh, for those marketers in the room, for those uh, folks that went to graduate school um, and consultants as well, you, you know, folks tell you, you know, a dollar that an Uber can pay you, an hour that an Uber can pay you compared to an hour that a small business can pay night and day. And it doesn't make any freaking sense. But I didn't care. I'm like, you know what? It doesn't have to make sense. It makes sense to me. I'm going to be... And say it loud and proud and, and live my truth and I'm going to help small business and if I am able to do this and have this promise to my market and as a marketer you're always making promises to the market every brand has a promise and I'm able to fulfill that that promise folks will align with my mission and help me fulfill that passion that I have which is helping my small diverse businesses part and parcel is because my mother is an entrepreneur, my aunts are entrepreneurs, and I saw how much they struggled through the digital divide, and I said, hey, you know what, if I could help them indirectly by helping folks like them, I, I would have lived a fulfilled life, and I, that would be a good enough answer for me if I ever see my best friend again, to say, hey, I didn't, give, I didn't waste my time uh, with me, what work that was not as fulfilling to me, I'm not saying, you know, folks can definitely do what they want, but to me, um, so, I started Brave Agency, and I met you there after at Elban, and Elban Network was fantastic. I presented my mission and vision. There was a Googler in the room, and she said, I love your mission. I align with your mission. I'm going to help you. Uh, and other folks started coming along and, and helped me fulfill that mission with Brave Agency, which is now a full-fledged digital marketing agency helping diverse small businesses, small businesses in general, but diversity is where we really excel, yet we help everyone under that small business banner. Long-winded answer. <laughs> no, that's, that's incredible, and it, it's super inspiring, Roberto. Um, 
to he- to hear it, you know, put together like that. And um, I have to say, similarly, I-, I heard a lot of similarities between my story, right? Like I, I also wanted to help my community. I started in the government path as well. I was a teacher, a high school English teacher. Um, quickly realized I was not good at that, and and it was just <laughs> not it, not fulfilling that same way. But um, I won't go through my whole story, but some of the most fulfilling work I've done, I think now, right? I mean, I've, I've been a little bit different in that I've, I've wanted to help share the voice of diverse consumers in the boardroom, right? Like we're often left out of surveys and focus groups, but some of the most fulfilling work I've done recently is work we've done with tech companies with Facebook, for example, right? They saw lots of small businesses that like the ones that you're helping using their Facebook platform. And they wanted to understand okay, we have a lot of diverse business owners coming to our platform, starting businesses. Think now, can you help us understand what are some of the biggest challenges, right? And so we got together and, and, and recruited, you know, Latino, Black, Asian, small business owners using Facebook. And we're able to let Facebook know, hey, here's the challenges. You know, number one, for example, was uh, finances, setting up a bank account, right? A lot, a lot of times um, you have these small businesses where they're not big enough or they feel they're not big enough to go to a traditional bank. And so we let them know that these are some of the barriers, right, to them growing. And Facebook, based on our data, rolled out some new, you know, banking systems within their small business platform, which is awesome. So, um, so it, 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 you know, I got a taste of it from one project. I think it's pretty amazing you get a focus on that day in and day out. And then for people that don't know, right, um, and you know this, Roberto, is that, you know, minority small business owners are really driving the economy, right? And you mentioned your your aunt, your mom, it's Latinas are the uh, demographic group that are starting more small businesses than any other demographic group in this country. Um, so, I, I mean, the work that you're doing is, is one helping individuals, but also helping our economy, right? No, that's exactly right. I, I get to work with amazing partners. Uh, I, I would like to plug in uh, Gares Mercado and the work they're doing in the East East LA corridor, Boyle Heights corridor, um, and some Latinas that wanted a voice and wanted a community of their own that can help each other um, and convene folks who have passions outside of their nine to five. And they're saying, hey, I, I, I know I'm, I have economic stability in this job, but there's more that I want to do. And so, yeah, you, you've seen that firsthand and you've seen these little um, ecosystems, micro ecosystems popping up in different parts of the country, different parts of the city. And it's inspiring just to be around these Latinas who are passionate, compassionate and driven. And so you mix those three things and you just sit back and you, I'm a facilitator and I just bring in resources the best I can. And so, and then you just learn from them. You just sit back and learn, and, and they start growing. The LA Times just had an article on that particular organization and the work that they're doing. And it's inspiring to see what a little resource uh, and a lot of ganas uh, would lead to. And so, it, it's it's not something just pertaining to Los Angeles or California. I think the whole country's seeing this fast growth of women in general, not just Latinos, but women really stepping up and saying, hey, I, I have a mission beyond my nine to five that I want to fulfill and I'm going to do that through servicing the market. So really cool stuff. 
Yeah, and and what another thing um, I want to ask you about a trend that I'm seeing that's in my opinion a really positive trend is larger corporations partnering with small businesses, um, and it's like this blending of multicultural marketing, diversity and inclusion, small business support, right? And you see, for example, Target reaching out to small business owners, whether they're Latina, whether they're Black women, um, just diverse business owners, connecting with brands that have already connected with these diverse audiences and bringing them into retail stores, right? I mean, I think that's uh, a really cool trend. Um, We have listeners of the podcast. They're typically kind of from larger corporations, right? Multicultural marketers or marketers that want to learn about multicultural marketing. I think you have a unique perspective in that you have a background in government. You've worked with large companies like Google, large government organizations. Like what's, from your perspective, like what's the best ways for large organizations like that to partner with some of the small, diverse business owners and companies that you work with? Like what are some, I, I what are some key, key takeaways? Yeah. No, I, I love the question because uh, we're classically trained, right, Mario? We went through a bunch, maybe too much education. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but you know, what Carl said, maybe too much education can't be a bad thing. That said, uh, case studies, right? We, we always have to make the case. It's important not to forget that we come from you know, a, a certain perspective of it has to make sense, financial sense. Well, what, uh, one of my favorite... Bay Area rappers, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. So uh, that's where we start. That's where I start. I, I, I'm not here for a handout. Right? I'm not here to tell corporate America, help us because it, it feels good. No, I'm here to tell corporate America, help us because it helps your bottom line. And here's how, right? Here's how you're going to get, maybe not a unicorn. It's not going to be you know, $100 million, $500 million company, but it'll be a healthy, strong, vibrant, community-driven business between a million and $25 million that's investing into that local community. So it makes financial sense for you to start now and invest in their growth because they're going to pay back that in, in, in multiples that are, in my opinion, a little bit higher than the average general market small business. And so that's where I start. I always start with the numbers game. You know, okay, well, how, what's the scale are you trying to hit? What, what's the number that we're, what's a, a number that makes sense for you Target, for you Walmart? Uh, to invest into entrepreneurs or micro entrepreneurs to get them to become a new supplier pipeline for you. Um, and that's going to make financial sense for you. And so that's literally what the conversation starts for me. We make you know, that business case and then we add empathy to that business case, right? Because we're not in the vacuum. We understand it has to make financial sense. Okay, how do we show up authentically to this community? How do we show up in a way that really drives and resonates with them so that they don't feel they're being used or manipulated or it's a small, short-term project, turnaround time of the year, and then we're done. The investment is done. We go back, corporate America. We kind of clap our hands, shake um, shake, and give away awards and, and never again hear from this community. So those are the two things that I really stress when I work with corporate America on the Fortune 500 side. And I think they're getting it. I think they're waking up to a new reality post-social unrest that they just can't ignore. Um, so that's important to realize as well. So there's a lot of social dynamics that are influencing the way this votes, but I always start with the business case. Okay, we understand that, but here's why it's going to help your bottom line, to medium to long term. 
I will facilitate that investment and help you show up authentically with that community so that they trust you. And then, you know, you start talking about lifetime values and, you know, all the unit economics that we live and breathe by uh, of the value of bringing these businesses into the pipeline. That's great. I mean, I think that's something um, that's often forgotten, right, is, is, is the bottom line, right? It's not, um, it's not something you should do just because it, it feels good. I mean, these businesses, um, many are, are, are solid and they just need some help to scale, right? And then to your second point, I mean, the thing I think I really love, and, I, and I, I'm thinking about Target again, um, you talked about connecting with consumers authentically. There's a halo effect, right? Once you invest in these businesses that have traction amongst a certain community, you're bringing in all those people that resonate authentically with that small business owner's product or service and bringing that into Target, Walmart, whatever the retailer is. Um, but but to your point, it's so important. It's not just one and done. It's not just Hispanic Heritage Month. It's not just Black History Month. It's something that you've got to continue for the long term because just as quickly as you connect authentically, if they realize it's a one and done type of investment, not only does the small business owner is that you're going to leave a sour taste in their mouth. Like consumers are savvy. They're realize they they know if you're just making a, an investment to feel good about yourself, right? Yeah. No, I, I love that point, right? Uh, you have to create champions. Uh, you have to have folks that evangelize the brand, uh, and you don't just pay for that. You don't buy them outright like a, a influencer, if you will. You invest into the community. That's what I call it an investment. A medium-term investment that you have to do, and then they become your your champions amongst the leadership of their community. And so, you know, I, I like that term socialization. You socialize those ideas through proof points. So here's my value proposition. Here's how I make my proof point. I support the X community, and then were my uh, examples of that statement because I invested and created a pipeline of vendors into. Our, our vendor por- corridor that increased the amount of small businesses that we uh, bring in and sell uh, through our you know, Walmart target portal. And that's what you're seeing. And I love the idea of talking politics. You know, our politics is local, our business is local. We like to buy from our neighbor, not from someone across the world. And so the, the larger vendors are getting that. They understand that. And, and they created programs. Target just created a program six months ago that really focuses in on local businesses and having them plug into their uh, vendor portal. And that's important, right? Because we want to buy from local if we can. Um, think global, act local type of mentality. And it's happening. Some brands are ahead of the brand, ahead of the curve more than other brands, but it, it takes some time to to get there. So it's exciting to see. It, are, is, is, that part of, are, is that part of your services? I mean, you, you sound like you're really, you really, know, you know this space. Are you helping small business owners connect with with large organizations and get into those portals and navigate that whole world or or is that kind of just part of your marketing services no great great. Uh, so it's it's a yes and an and or i my my meat and potatoes is helping small business digitize so if you're going through that digital transformation i help accelerate that digital transformation to me it's a american imperative to bridge that gap 
uh, and to help them sell online, right? We know this for a fact, COVID exacerbated this need of being online to sell. And so what we're dancing around is all these different platforms also know that, right? They've been doing it forever, but we can't leave behind certain small business communities that need to digitize. So what I do is I help digitize the small businesses through digital assets. Uh, so there's, you know, one-offs, which is, you know, small business comes to me and say, hey, Roberto, I want to digitize. And they don't, they don't speak in this, this language. No one talks that way. They're like, hey, how do I increase my revenue? How do I increase my bottom line? How do I improve my branding? How do I make people remember me? Um, so we do that, but then we also do that with scale. So how does that scale work? Right? I, I'm very blessed for the past five years to work with an amazing tech company, Google, and they help you think in scale. They're, they're not for one or 10 or 100. Like, all right, you, you hit 50,000, Robert. How do we get to 150,000? <laughs> and you're just like, like, holy crap, how do we get to a million? And so these big audacious goals, these big hairy audacious goals, and that gets exciting. So then you change the frame that you're looking at things. And then you realize who has the scale. And so we have worked with corporate America that has the scale, that has those numbers that they can leverage. And that's how we go then we go to them and we say, hey, would you like to prop up a program to support a program that can help you get to a thousand small businesses in a matter of six months? And that to them makes sense because that's how they play the game, right? They're not playing it for one or two or three. They're looking at the larger scale. And so Living that, that space for the past two years, especially uh, during COVID, has allowed me to speak to these, these proof points and these talking points of, hey, Walmart, Target, Zero, uh, ADP, you know, let's help you reach out to this community in a way that's authentic, bring them into the digital connectivity to get them to be able to compete against the bigger players. Um, and that makes sense for us because we, again, going back to the mission, we want to have a lasting impact. We make our mothers and aunts and uncles proud of why we're here. And doing that, not just in our local community, but across the small business community is extremely important. So that's what I'm always looking for. Who's going to be a partner in the ecosystem? I don't want you for one and done. I want you to invest into your ecosystem. <clears throat> you tell me what market you want to go after. I'll support that. We have a very exciting program that's being launched in Houston in a couple months with a pretty large uh, funder that's a foundational funder, a big, big bank. And they said, hey, we'll step up. We'll support these communities of color. We'll support these small businesses. And we want scale. And so that's where the conversation pivots to, okay, we're all helping the small business owner, but we're also doing it at scale where we're strengthening the ecosystem. And then once one large partner jumps in, it's easier to go back and talk to the other partners and say, you guys should be jumping in too. Uh, and I'm also part of the board of directors for the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, which, again, helps. Your scale there are 100,000 small businesses. Then you can just match them up with corporate entities that want to support that, that community. And you, you tell the story. Like, this is how we help the ecosystem, regardless of where the market is that you're trying to invest in. I love that because I think, I think so, we, we, you know, we've done work with the SBA, um, talking to small business owners, and I think, one of the issues, and I'm sure this is one of the reasons why Braven Agency exists, is that it's it's overwhelming for small business owners. There's there's actually so many resources that it's difficult to navigate, right? So it sounds like part of what you're doing is understanding the objective of the small business owner and saying, okay, connecting with this company is going to be the right path, or the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, or Right, like kind of helping them navigate all the resources that are existing. Is that is that fair to say? Is that kind of part of your job? Oh my goodness, Mario! Now, now we're talking. Now we're you know, <laughs> you have my curiosity. Now you have my attention. 
Um, that that <clears throat> what you just hit on is my holy grail. It's um, it's the reason why we launched this this other company uh, that's based on software. It's called Smarts. And what we're trying to do is, you know, the life cycle of a business, again, going, you've been, you taught all these frameworks in, in graduate school, and they talk about lifetime cycle and the J-curve and all these great ideas, but how do you implement them? And so we, you and I collectively, have been very blessed to live in the space where we're seeing it firsthand. And so what we did, we took a step back and said, okay, well, we need to figure out what the lifetime cycle is for these businesses, and whether from zero to 100,000, 100,000 and a half a million, half a million to a million, a million to five. 10 million, 10 million, and each business has a different need as they're going through those gates. And so if we could create what I call tech stacks, depending on where they're at and their growth, you know, I'm not going to come to a small business and tell them, you need to do this. It has to come bottom up, not top down. And again, it goes back to empathy, authenticity of their journey and being, uh, being there, being where they're at, not where you want them to be. It's extremely important. And that software tool allows us to benchmark them against other markets, other cities, other players, other small businesses, and then show them, okay, well, here's where you're, where you're at within your technology stack. Here's your missing opportunities and gaps that are really opportunities for you to scale and grow. If you do these three or five things and you check these boxes, you're going to see these percentage of increase according to our software that's telling you that. And it's up to you as a small business to implement them or not. Like we cannot tell you what to do. This is a free market at the end of the day, and I do believe in the free market. And each one of these businesses, depending on industry and sector, <clears throat> we can benchmark. We can see this is where your gaps are, opportunity gaps, right? And as each one keeps scaling and growing, there's new tools and opportunities because there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all. So you're mentioning the SBA. You mentioned a little bit earlier LBAN. Each one of these businesses, depending on whether or not in their journey, can be given the right set of tools, tech and other, to get them to the next stage of growth and evolution. And that's where I feel that my work in the future, uh, the near to short-term future is going. That's really where I want to, the agency is great working. I'm never gonna discount the work that we're doing with the agency. But again, going for scale, going for impact, going for creating small business ecosystems, that for me is where we should be heading. And that's where I'm devoting uh, the next half of my life to God willing, if, if God permits. <laughs> I love that you're, you're you're digitizing yourself. You're gonna be a there's a <laughs> AI version of Roberto, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just finished watching The Westworld. Uh, I'm with you. <laughs> Mind blasting. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's how to get scale, and we all know SaaS is, uh, is one of the ways to do it. I, AI, and you know what's really cool? We have mutual friends. And we have these conversations around, you know, dinner tables and backyard, carnasadas uh, and whatnot. And I'm talking to them, and they're like, wow, we don't even need AI for this, right? Like, this is simple logic. <laughs> right. Like, we, we, we're so, like, we're so far over the edge of, like, trying to get over the horizon because we, at least not imposter syndrome, we feel like, oh, we're seeing all these amazing solutions because we're playing with the Googles and the Metas of the world and the Cisco's of the world. That the reality is we're going to, come back full circle and we're like, we don't need that much uh, uh, investment into AI. There's simple solutions here that's just maybe simple logic trees that we can create with a software tool that's going to help out 85 to 90% of our marketplace because we're micro-enterprises, right? Most of us are micro-enterprises. We're not revenue over $2 million. So, you know, you could help out a huge chunk without needing now. 
the, the 10 to plus million, they might need AI, right? They're the ones thinking in that terminology. Where do you want to live? Where do you want to play? Like, who are we going after first, right? If this is the triage uh, system, you know, we're going to have to place our, our bets in certain marketplaces. And I still think my work is still in the micro enterprise, you know, up to 2 million where we can give them some easy tools. And the reason why is because the impact, zero to one is a lot, an increase of 100%, right? And, and I think that's exciting. Eventually, you can play with the AI tools for those corporations to get those small business corporations that are within our network, our community, to become the, the next Cisco, if you will, the next uh, Google and Meta. No, that, that's so true. And, and really, bringing it back down to earth is, is why our companies exist, right? Because if you think about it, the more, majority of business owners, they're under 1 million. The majority of people are employed by small businesses. And so these big tech companies that we work with, Google, Meta, uh, Microsoft, they're thinking AI solutions, you know, what, what can we bring? What can we develop for small business owners? But like our research and you talking to people every day, right? For example, it's like, hey, we, we need a banking solution. It's like, oh, oh yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, let me put, whereas they're, they're, you know, they're thinking about, you know, let me, let me create this AI copy tool. It's like, no, they're not even thinking, they, they need, like, they literally need somewhere to put their money. They don't, they don't want to open yeah. a bank yeah. account and get an EIN. You know what I mean? So like so much, of, so I think so much of the value that we bring is like bringing these companies back to earth in terms no, of really. letting them realize like what's happening on the ground. Right. Yeah. And, and the truth is, I mean, you know, that it's, uh, this is really exciting work. It, it's exactly why we tell that story. This is exactly why being creating your, your own channel. Like you created this podcast is so important. They need to hear this from multiple places. Um, and it's great. I, I get the business case. I understand that they want to go after the $10 million company, the $15 million, $20 million company that's diverse, that they that could properly supply them with the tools and, and resources they need. I get that. I understand that. Um, but the work, and this is just not diverse, this is all small business, is still in the micro enterprise space. And so uh, let's play that VC game, right? Let's, let's invest in 100 to get 10 that are going to scale, or maybe one that's going to scale to a unicorn. But in, in that model, you still get small winners that are going to become multi-million dollar companies that can let, eventually use your AI solution. And so that's important. And, and telling them that story, like, hey, I get it. I understand you're going after the, the contract that's going to net you 10, 15,000 a month and, you know, lifetime value of five years. And I get that. But if you build the pipeline, you know, you're going to be able to build a, a multitude of multi-million dollar businesses that are going to use your solution. And so that early adopter mentality for those bigger corporations, it's very, very important for them to kind of, it has to click. It has to be like, yes, I, I invest. And the companies that you mentioned, Meta, Micro, and Google, have all been doing that. Yeah, so so we're almost up on time, but be, I, you know, like I mentioned, we we kind of have t we have two uh, types of listeners of the podcast. One are people that know their stuff in multicultural marketing, um, and so they listen to us to kind of keep abreast of, of the trends and, and people, and then people that. Are in corporate America um, and and they've been tasked with doing multicultural marketing or just have heard it and they want to get to know. So um, let's switch a little bit to to multicultural marketing. Like 
from your perspective with the diverse business owners that you're working with, what are some strategies or marketing that works for these large organizations that have that you think have resonated with small business owners or even yourself as a small business owner? Like what are some what are some ways to connect with you, connect with your clients that like big companies can implement? Um, to reach out to small business owners that you've seen work, or or maybe that you w- things that they wish that they would do, you know, so, something that, that multicultural marketers can take away. Yeah, no, no, I think you, I mean, we're dancing around it. So let's just say you need a Sherpa, you need a guide to yeah. the communities, and you need to do your work, your your research. Uh, the tr- multicultural marketing is not translating something from English to Spanish. <laughs> that is not multicultural marketing. <laughs> It's understanding the generational nuances and understanding that we're not a homogenous community. It's understanding that we have to show up authentically. So how do you do that? Work with Mario, right? Like Mario is going to be the guy that is able to give you the market research to find that insight to be able to communicate in an authentic manner. I mean, there's no shortcuts. I literally was at the conference yesterday and I was talking to this professor of communications and he says, you know, you know, these, these uh, big corporations you know, of the world are spending so much money, but they, you have to segment the audience. You have to know that you know, first generation is different from fourth generation. You have to understand that the market in Texas is different from the market in New Mexico is different from the market in California. There's no shortcut around that. And so working with people like you and agencies like mine that are able to uh, shortcut the, the learning curve of how to show up authentically is extremely important. Or just hire really talented marketers in Germany that understand what's on the ground, understand the value of investing, so that they could champion it internally, and then we can ch- we could help you make the business case externally as well. That that's the the workaround. There's no easy solution, I, and I think a lot of big corporations sometimes they get hung up with working with the biggest and brightest agencies, which makes sense, right? You're you're a big. Co- it's like it's the same problem that we have with consultation. Right? Like they just get the rubber stamp from from uh, Boston Group and then move forward. We already knew what we were going to do. We just need that rubber stamp. Great, um, but that's just not the way you win over hearts and minds within our communities, right? Because that we need people like Mario, we need other agencies. AC Media is a great agency as well that understands the diverse small business community and can show up authentically. And, and then you bring in partners that can validate and back you up. I think that's the shortcut. Uh, and it's not really a shortcut. It's just like you, you have to do your homework. You have to work with partners that get the community. You have to be willing to invest. I, I, I love that concept, of how you put it as a Sherpa, right? It's um, And that can take many forms. Like you mentioned, it could be an agency. Um, it could be a research company. It could be a consultant. It could be hiring someone. But I think the importance is it's someone that is willing to do the work um, and understands the community and even... Even someone that understands the community, there is not one person that knows every nuance about every generation, about every group, right? Like that that's not even necessarily a solve. It's like someone willing to do the work, right? And get and, and connect and understand and, and present those results. Yeah, and, and Mark, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, mention ERG groups. A lot of oh, yeah. great tech companies have done great work with investing into the ERG groups. Because they then understand the communities and they can, like, and you don't necessarily have to look a certain way, you just have to have an affinity towards that community. And then that creates enough internal traction to be able to push for nuanced marketing, if you will. Um, 
And so I think the ERG groups are, are a big plus for companies that want to understand local communities and local social challenges that those communities are facing because they, the people that they're hiring are come from that community for the most part. Yeah, and you made and you make a good point, right? It doesn't have to be someone necessarily from that community, um, someone that shows an affinity, or someone that's willing to to help in that way. Because one thing I think that's equally important to point out is that not everyone from that community wants to help or do the work. I think I think some companies get in trouble reaching out to the Latino and the staff and saying, "Hey, do you want to help us with this?" It's like not not everybody wants to help, right? They have to show they have to show interest and i think an erg if, if someone's joined an erg and, and, and expressed interest that's a good resource yeah self-selection right like hey i i choose to be in front so yeah, that, yeah that's it awesome um this has been a great conversation roberto thank you for for joining us if people want to connect with you um what how can we find you on social yeah crush that like button right subscribe <laughs> I, I love it. <laughs> Uh, exit slides. No, uh, feel free to shoot, out, shoot me an email, Robert at Braden Agency. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Uh, at Twitter's Rob the Marketer. Uh, LinkedIn is, uh, I think it's Robert, Roberto Braden or Roberto Martinez. There's not too many of us. <laughs> There's a lot of us, but Roberto Martinez in LA, Braden Agency. And then on IG is uh, Roberto and Braden. So feel free to find me, shoot me an email. I'm here to help in any shape or form. Awesome. Thanks again, Roberto, and thank you everybody for listening. Thanks to everyone listening in. To get more multicultural insights, check us out at thinknow.com and follow us on social media. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. Final thank you to our producer, Lucas Martinez, who created our intro music and makes our podcast sound great. T-mail him reach out to martinez.lucas.a at gmail.com.